Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode number 81 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. I hope you're all well. This week I'm taking you to meet Matt Jukes. I've known Matt for quite some time now. He was one of the creators of the VR show that I was kindly invited to be a part of. It was the first Zoom art fair online during the lockdown. Matt Jukes is an Australian printmaker that found his home in London in 2004. He's known for his mountainous, almost soundscaped monoprints, and he's in the process of adjusting his practice slightly to create works on canvas. In this episode, Matt tells how music plays a vital role in both his monoprints and his current work. He tells of the impact on the closure of the art fairs during lockdown and how several months of lockdown may have an everlasting effect on the relationship between the gallery and the artist. Matt is a very curious artist, and pretty much asked me as many questions as I asked him. The conversation went on for over two and a half hours. This is a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So please, come with me and meet Matt Jukes. COVID has has just sped up all the changes which were going to happen anyway. 
all yeah. all those kind of breaking points. Um, so, for, for example, in the art world, this kind of shifts online. Um, th- th- that was going to happen anyway over the next five years, but yeah. it's happened in five months. It's had to, hasn't it? Yeah, From ne- necessity rather than evolving. Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't think everything is going to go back to how it was. I don't think yeah. the art galleries are going to all open up again because why? What value does an art gallery give you now? And when I say art gallery, I'm not talking about the museums. I'm talking yeah. about the, the those those kind of commercial art galleries. And then the, the, there's all those kind of low level art galleries which we as practicing artists need need to be able to reach out and find new audiences. Yeah. Um, it, I, I think it's going to change the role the artist has with the gallery, which, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, because I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I sell 90% of my work online and yeah. I sell a good 70% of that through my own channels. Got you. Oh, wow. So what value does the gallery give to me outside of credibility? Yeah. Um, well, I've got to say that um, since the COVID, since the lockdown, mm. I've probably seen 40, 50 times more art than I normally would. Mm. But I've only seen it on my phone. Yeah. And what I am yearning is that face-to-face, the scale, the mm. seeing the texture, you know, getting that little bit of energy from the artwork yeah. that you don't on a sort of... On a phone screen. I, yeah, I completely agree. Here's an interesting story for you. Um, I'd always studied art through books. And that was the way, because I grew up in Melbourne, we don't have a lot of these kind of uh, touring exhibitions and things like that. Um, so I'd, I was forced to study Rothko um, at school. And I didn't like him. I, I didn't get him. That. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get him. I didn't like him at all. I, I, I thought it was kind of pointless because I was viewing it inside um, the art prints inside a big book. It wasn't until I got to London, got to the Tate Modern, sat inside the Rothko room and thought, ah, now I understand. <laughs> now I'll connect with it. Now yeah. I see what everybody's talking about. I, I see what that movement and that colour. And that has in, in, uh, basically informed so much of my work. So yeah. this whole idea of, yes, galleries not being as important as before, you still, the, the, you still need to be able to see that work. You still need to be able to go to a location and see that work to be able to have that emotional connection and to yeah. be able to see the kind of detail and things. I mean, I, d- d- definitely with my work, because it, there's so much subtlety to it, that um, you, when it's put onto a screen... Uh, so much of the detail is lost, so much of the colour it has kind of shifted and moved yeah. and also kind of flattened down a lot. So yeah. my, my work doesn't represent that well online. Yeah. Your, your work's a good example of what you're saying mm. because when you put a close-up of your work, you may just put a sort of, I don't know, the bottom right-hand corner, for yeah. instance, and then you can see the texture in your work, mm. which you can't see when you show... I mean, I'm... The I'm, whole piece. You, it, it, what is it, 70 by 50, possibly? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's about the size of each of them, yeah. Yeah, and then when you zoom into the to the bottom corner and you can see the texture, you mm. know, you can see the patterns within the colours because from a distance, it just looks like, you know, lowering it down to its common, lowest common denominator, gradiated colours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I suppose, I mean, I've always been fascinated by this idea that from a distance... 
it's it, it's a very minimal, simple image. But when you step up closer, when you engage with it more, that's when it starts to um, tell a bigger story. So g- going back to like the Rothko story, it wasn't until I got there and was able to sit there and be immersed inside the detail. Those kind of yeah. small details... Um, which told a, told a new story every time which I went. That's what I'm trying to bring across inside my art, is to be able to sit there and for more layers and more meaning to be revealed each time you kind of sit there and to be able to engross yourself inside it and for it to, um, yeah, like I say, each time you look at it, to see something new and see a new texture, yeah. a new detail, a new little corner or something like that. Well... We've been recording for a little while, okay. Uh, just for a few minutes while we was while we was talking about <laughs> that. So um, I think that's probably a good time to introduce you. I'm speaking to Matt Jukes, um, and the first question of seven that I ask each artist mm-hmm. is: How would you explain what you do to someone that didn't know your work? Well, I would explain my my work as. I I capture forgotten memories. Yeah. So the, the, w- w- what I'm trying to do here is to be able to reach back into reach back into my memory, go back to times and try to connect with a emotional moment f- for me to be able to build it into that idea that these memories can be stored inside objects. So I I very much go through a materials process where I kind of build up the material, build up the layers, and it's when I th- that memory is triggered, is when the piece becomes finished. So yeah. uh, w- 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 with that there, that becomes a personal memory to me of that emotion, and what I often do is kind of attach a song to that as well. Uh, so whenever you read one of my titles, there will always be like a song, a yeah, song lyric yeah. in there. Um, so th- that for me c- captures that in a moment. But what I then do is hand that over to to the person who's who's actually viewing my work, and I want them to read the text, uh, maybe hear the song in their head, but also to be able to feel the same emotion. But for them to be able to find their own place, so that they become another layer of the story. Um, nothing I love more than as they are looking at my work is to be able to find their own landscape find their own location inside this world um, and for us to be able to share that emotion even though we're seeing different things because in in this world as we're all being pushed further and further apart I want to show that we actually have more alike than we have um, have um, have all of these different differences. Outside of that, I suppose I'm primarily a printmaker, uh, but I've been um, ex- extending that out into different fields. So I've, yeah. I've been painting a lot, I've been building sculptures, and I've been looking at photography as well. But it, but it always comes down to these misremembered landscapes because these, yeah. b- because I like the idea of putting a marker into a time and a place and a location and mm-hmm. for it to be a emotional reference of that location rather than a physical representation of yeah. that location. Yeah, so for, for anyone who hasn't seen your work who, who may be listening to this, visually it looks like a, a series of mountains, one behind the other, progressively getting higher and yeah. higher. Yeah. Um, but knowing that your work is related to music and sound, mm. it could also be like sound waves beyond 
um, beyond each other where you're talking about memories. Well, that's very interesting that you say that because I, I always try to uh, leave it open to, to, to the person who's viewing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And where this whole series of work started out was actually um, me doing my version of uh, Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures album. Cover. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, for for those who you don't know, um, uh, it is a black album cover with a series of waveforms on it, uh, which yeah. is the sound of a dying star, which I always thought wow. was brilliant, especially considering what happened to Ian Curtis. Um, and what I loved about that was, in this lovely, simple graphic image, it was able to give that kind of um, feeling and emotion, and to be able to layer different meanings upon that. So um, now that I've told you that and, and you've got that vision in your mind of that, of, of that classic album cover, you would have, um, uh, you can see where I have kind of taken that and then uh, started to build up. So my very early pieces were very monotonal. Uh, so they're actually kind of blues and greys and, uh, and levels like that. And it's only now that I've kind of expanded out and moved away from it being a pure soundscape into a landscape um, that, that I've kind of built up these colorways and color has become really, really important to me. Um, I think I've become a bit of a color junkie over, over these years because color is a very good way to be able to drive emotion. Um, yeah, I mean, th th think about blue, for example. Blue is this, this lovely uplifting um, color which gives you safety and, and um, comfort. But then why do we say things like, I'm feeling a bit blue? This, yeah. this kind of double language inside color I find absolutely uh, like fascinating. And I think that's something which I like to explore is by being able to use these colors to trigger these uh, various emotions, but then to be able to, once again, hand it over to the, to, to the person who's viewing to be able to build that in there, to be able to yeah. say th that nice. this blue for me is actually a sad blue or this blue is an uplifting blue yeah did you have art in your family growing up um did i have art in my family um i'm going to say there was a very special sort of art i not in your traditional uh, yeah. sense of art um my dad um was very much an artisan in his ability to make anything out of anything um, oh, which which is amazing. I mean, I remember once he made a tree mulcher by turning a lawnmower upside down. Um, definitely thought I was going to lose a finger, but <laughs> there was a certain genius of that kind of craftsmanship to be able to yeah. open up. Um, is it is it necessarily art? I'm going to say no, but. That, that that kind of way of um, uh, it's definitely making creative things. thinking exactly, yeah. and, and it, it is that creative thinking, that creative um, like problem solving, which I think I've I, I've definitely learned that, and then applied the idea of taking that creative thinking to be able to tell a story, because yeah. in my mind that's what art is is telling of stories to be able to um, tell that story and then create an object to be able to hold that story. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Th 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 that's what is, has always kind of attracted me to art. I wanted to create something which, where I was able to get my hands dirty and actually put a mark on the, on, on the page and create an actual object. 
So that's where where I first started my uh, like printmaking all all those years ago, and it was very much my therapy for the for for yeah. for, 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 for um, like what was the day job, um, and that has kind of developed, and I think that's the reason why my work is so meditative meditative and calming is because it was my therapy it was my way of being able to express my emotions and my way of um, kind of calming myself down Um, and that was even built into the process because the way that I work is I'm putting layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer Um, and I'm doing it with a 250 year old printing press which is a cantankerous old machine, which, which I absolutely love. I mean, I yeah. adore this machine, but it's hand-cranked. So I'm basically walking the two meters backwards and forwards as I roll it forward, roll it backwards, roll it forwards, roll it backwards. And that kind of repetition, I think, puts you into this meditative mindset to be able to um, find that zen and find that peace. Because as you've seen all of my work, that even the most vibrant, um, powerful colorways of, of, of what I'm working with, there's still a piece to it. Yeah, there's still a bit of subtlety there, no matter what colour you use, isn't yeah. there? Isn't there right? Yeah. How do you go about guiding the viewer through all of those different layers? I think it's just because that's what I do in life. Mm. Because when I'm within the art world... Because of the way I talk, and I'm always laughing and joking, I'm not, I'm not a stereotypical artist in my mm. eyes anyway, I, I find that once I start talking about art um, and people can see my, my experience, my knowledge, my connections with other artists, there is a little, I think the wow factor is a little bit of an exaggeration, but pe- it, it mm. sort of puts people on the back foot. And I, I, I like that because for a mm. long time I was always the opposite. You know, I'd always... Although I'm a you know, big fellow, I'd always sort of take mm. like, sit in the shadows a little bit, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, 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 but yeah. I, I've found the reaction of people who go, "What? You're an artist?" And then I show mm. them my work, and they go, "Wow, you're a good artist." And then <laughs> you know, I talk about the shows I've put together, and and, and yeah, they go, yeah, "Wow, yeah. you know them, and you know you're associated mm. with these people, and you've worked with these." Is how mm. I see it, anyway. Do Do you think that kind of presentation of your I mean that's the presentation of you as a artist you as the celebrity I suppose yeah. as the identity um, but how about when your work is being viewed without you so if if, if 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 you were taken out of that context and somebody was coming to your work how how do you go, go about guiding them through or is that important to you uh, is it a- very much so and I, th- I think I use uh, that's it, that's where the title comes into mm. play um, and the title can be a bridge between the work they're looking at and the personality of the artist yeah. and the the title that I will put will be will probably be one of two things it will be quite a descriptive title yeah so that it can give the viewer a sort of a guide into the layers that I'm trying to get them to to look at you know mm. Or it will be a look. Thinking of my padlocks and um, barbed wire at the moment, it might just be called Barb Barbed Wire One. Yeah. So it'll either be a nothing title mm. or a descriptive title. And in the work I'm doing at the moment, you know, as soon as you mm. get closer, you can see the the detail and how the detail and the form is made. Yeah. So I think it doesn't need a descriptive title because mm. the viewer just has to get a little bit closer, closer. to the work yeah. and read the work. So then it's 
it's it's the viewer always doing the work, but sometimes I give them a little hint as to mm. where to look and how to. Because look. I think that hint's important to be able to dig deeper into your work, because your work is so much connected to you as an artist, and or to, I would say even deeper than that to you as a person, uh, mm. because you, the, the, I, I see your work as an expression of you and the experience of uh, of of life that you bring. Um, and th- that kind of uh, detail, um, th- that detail gives it so much more value and so much more story um, to be able to build that connection with the person who is actually looking at it. Mm. So that's the reason why I, I, I like your pieces which tell more of a story or give me a bigger starting off point rather than the ones which are the uh, like nothing title. Oh, I agree totally. Like, because the psychology behind it is that viewed from a distance, strong subject matter, yeah, padlock or a lump of barbed wire. Um, it's got a strange texture from mm. a distance, so you want to go forward. And anyone who's into art will go, oh, it's cross hatching. Mm. They get even closer, and it's oh, it's not cross hatching. It's you know the the tally mark. Yeah. Then there's that connection, and yeah. it's them sort of layers that I like. Yeah. You know, the, the closer you get to it. And as I say, that's that's how mm. I see myself, my own personality within a gallery. Yeah, and I think that, that that story is able is where you're able to build that emotional connection with the person so that they're able mm. to um, appreciate it further. I had a lovely chat with a gallerist when I was starting out and... Um, the thing which he he really made me realise was um, your collectors aren't buying the piece of paper. They're not buying the bronze. They're not buying the canvas. What they're doing is they're buying you, the artist, yeah. and they're buying what you're going to create next. Um, mm. And th- that, th- that um, kind of made me realise that the objects I am creating are a representation of the ideas I'm trying to share. I'm always trying to do more. I'm always trying to push myself so that um, the, the people who are collecting my work are, are seeing that growth, seeing that, that thought process. Um, yeah, and, and, and their work is a, is a link in the chain to where you are at the moment. Exactly, exactly. And for, what I'm also trying to do is bring those people along with me to be able to bring them to, to, uh, along this journey which I'm going on as my thoughts develop and as my uh, process develops as well because I think they go kind of hand in hand. And what I want to do is bring them along and to be able to say, those ideas I was talking about before, I've progressed them like this and I've progressed them like this. With each yeah. each new uh, like body of work, I'm trying to be able to... Take that, take those thoughts which I am sharing to that next level. Um, I mean, talking about bodies of work, um, which piece that you've created has the like the strongest emotional connection? Oh, with me or with my audience? I mean, that's a that, that's a very good thing. I mean, for me, with you, I'd say. With, with me, it's always the newest thing for, for me, the, the, the latest that's, thing which I'm working on. That's, I mean, that's what I'm most excited about. And if I'm not exci- most excited by the latest thing, then I'm doing something wrong. I need to be able to be pushing myself to be able to, to create. So the, the things which I am uh, really excited about at the moment is a bit of a shift in direction for me. 
um, is so my studio at the moment is filled with canvases with color fields. So um, what I'm doing is I'm kind of trying to take the emotion which I am talking about um, and then basically zooming in even f further. So, at, well, zooming in, zooming out. So the work I'm c currently doing is massive. So each canvas is about two meters by a meter wide. Shit, wow, nice. So my worlds which have been, well, I've, I've always thought of my work as windows. Now I'm trying to build them out into doors, uh, nice. in, into my world. Um, and what I'm looking at now is how can I capture that emotion and that feeling, um, but to be able to remove that kind of texture and that kind of detail. So to move away from this idea of it's a landscape of a place, can I capture that emotion with just color? Nice. So what I've been doing is I've been doing these kind of graduations between tones and the way which I work is I'm putting layers upon layers upon layers upon layers. So as it gets applied to the canvas, it starts to shift and become a different layer because all the work, because the ink which I'm using is quite transparent it kind of builds up and it becomes its own color. It becomes its own, uh, a, a color which I couldn't have mixed or I, or I wouldn't have thought of happened. So yeah. building up these layers, it, it, it kind of takes me on a journey. And once again, it's still the same process of discovering an emotion and a moment, except what I'm doing is I'm doing it as, as minimally as possible. Yeah. Nice. So, I mean, that's the stuff which I'm really excited about. Um, I create work because I have to create work. Um, that is definitely kind of built into me. And then the thinking which goes along with the like making of that work um, uh, re requires the, the time to be, able to, to be able to spend with it. Like I was saying, I spend a lot of time just looking at my work now and yeah. thinking about where that is going and what I and I suppose making sense of, of all of this work on the wall and I think I feel as if I have come to, I've been able to resolve that but it's being able to make sure that it stands strong enough against my previous uh, my body of work um, well you said before we started that you'd been to Scotland yes um, complete change of environment presumably relaxing environment yes how was that for your way of thinking you see I'm going to add on top of that no internet connection as well. Oh, perfect. It's beautiful. My brain is so full of ideas. I, I literally, I can't get them out fast enough. There are so many things um, which I want to do, so many things which I'm trying to build, and things which I've, uh, which I discovered whilst walking the, so I spent a lot of time walking the hills of, of this lovely place called Glendye. And it's, I was taken by the colors of the heather over the, uh, over the mountains. And I, I suppose walking through the space made me really interested in the idea of doing installation work. I mean, I've never thought about installation work, but there, literally as I was walking through these fields, I, I was starting to think, oh, I want to build something here. I want to build something which reacts directly to all of this landscape. Um, yeah. So I spent a lot of time kind of beavering away and uh, sketching and drawing. And I mean, uh, there's nothing which has kind of fallen into place of what it is yet. But that space away from the studio, that space away from the kind of 
living my life. Yeah, yeah, it 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 it, it kind of gave me space to be able to sit and think. The, the 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 kind of new piece of work which I'm going to be working on is the idea of, oh, well, I want to be able to take these colors and take these shapes and forms and build in ways which I can give movement to those and to, to, so that they become a shifting shape. Uh, yeah. to, so depending on your perception, it will, it will change um, uh, depending on the way which you look at it. Um, I am, I'm currently working on this thing at the moment which changes based on the emotion of the person who is actually looking at it. Yeah, nice. So as the person steps up to it, it will read their face and it will work out what emotion they are exhibiting through their face between joy, sadness, disgust, happiness, all of those things. And then for then what I'm doing is changing the way which um, the colors are, are shown um, so that what I'm doing is I'm capturing an emotional landscape for them. So I'm, I'm basically asking the viewer to come in, sit and remember a place. And then for me to be able to interpret that into a, into a personalised vision of that moment of theirs. Yeah, well, that's going back to sort of Rothko's idea, isn't it? You know, everyone has got a sort of starting level of emotion when they're looking at his work. Mm. And if they haven't got a starting level of emotion... Soon enough, his work brings everyone to that same sort of emotion, you know? Yeah, 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 definitely. And what I always loved about his work is, even though it is just oil and canvas, it moves. If you sit at it and stare at it long enough, it starts to pulsate and vibrate and move and feel alive with the with the rhythm of the person who is um, who who is looking at it. So. It is very much bringing those ideas into my work of being able to say, how can I bring these emotions to life for the viewer? Because that's what I want to do. I want to reach out to the viewer and make sure they feel the connection with the work through an emotion, which is them. Well, if taking yourself out of your environment Mm. and putting yourself into the Scottish Highland or Scottish mountainous environment has changed the way that you look at some subjects, mm. do you think you would bring that into your practice, Definitely. taking time out? I mean, what do you do to relax at the moment? Well, you see, at the moment I work. That's, that's what I do. Uh, yeah. the, the work is the relaxation. And I think at the start of lockdown, that uh, when I had a whole bunch of shows cancelled and I didn't have anything to push towards, for the first time, I realised at how much it wasn't relaxing me anymore. I realised that I put myself under so much pressure to prepare for all these shows to to get everything going. I mean, at, at, before lockdown, I had six shows all lined up, all ready to go within the next two months. They were all cancelled. So I was... I, I realised at that point, it was like the... Oh, I can breathe now. I can relax. And that changed my rate of working, my way of working. And I think that also kind of gave me that space to be able to look at this new work and to be able to really invest time in it. And that idea of being able to invest time. So I think that, yes, that that, that has to be part of my practice moving forward. And how do you think that where your practice has changed slightly because mm. of lockdown, once 
when and if we sort of get back to what was the normal or what is the new normal, mm. do you think you will have to have a mind change again? I think that, uh, that there will be a mind change going into the, 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 the new normal because in the same way that lockdown affected me, as we're taking our kind of our tentative steps out into the world, I'm, I'm a different person to what I was before. And I'll be, and I'm going to react to the world in a different way. Is that going to change me? Is this idea of being able to spend more time with work be a luxury which I am going to afford myself? I, right now I'm going to say, I'm going to make it happen because yeah. I think the work is stronger. I'm more excited about the work because I've invested so much more time in that. So yeah. once again, going back to the idea of uh, spending time with music and f because I've spent time with it, I feel as if it has more value to me. And I, I suppose as, as an artist, what you're doing is you're creating pieces which have, which have value to you as an artist in the yeah, hope nice. that the viewer will be able to see that value for themselves. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, yeah, good, good explanation. I like that. Yeah. You used to sell a lot of your work at art fairs. Yeah. And you've got a lot of friends. You've made a lot of friends during art fairs. The question I've got here is, if there was you and five other artists, past and present, mm. what would your ideal group show be? Oh, that's a very, very good question. Oh, I mean, my mind is just going off in so many directions, in so many different <laughs> ways. Um, my first thought would be, and I'm going to struggle to re remember names, um, the producer of Factory Records, Martin Hammett. Um, he, he, he went through this whole period where he would do field recordings of silence, where he nice. would wander out onto the moors and cr create recordings of silence. That there would be the soundtrack. To, to, to this group show. I love the idea of this capturing or trying to capture the impossible because, you know, when you're doing a field recording in the middle of nowhere, you're, you're, you're going to get some kind of background static, background yeah. noise. And I love the idea of an oral version of, of, um, of what we've been talking about is that kind of texture and that detail. Yeah. So that he would definitely be be there. Um and maybe just because we've been talking about Rothko so often, um I think there's definitely some kind of connection which I would want to be able to bring with that is that kind of texture and detail of of his work. And I think a recorded a recording of silence would go really lovely with these kind of strong uh, that color fields. Um Oh, now who who else would I want to be able to compliment those guys? I I suppose my next uh, version would be a chap called Villas, uh, who is a street artist, and what he does is he creates uh, portraits on billboards by wa uh, putting white paper down and then kind of cutting out of it, uh, so you can see oh, the advertising behind yeah, that. I know. Yeah, so th that's Villas is his uh, street name. His uh, artist name is Alexander Fato. Um, a Portuguese artist. Um, what I love is he's able to capture that emotion and be able to capture that kind of feeling. Uh, but it's still all very much about texture. 
Um, yeah. So th- 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 that's three. I would add to that shepherd fairy, um, mostly because of this kind of strength of his message. Um, what I like is that his work has kind of evolved from uh, the Andre the Giant um, yeah. through into being able to um, build this idea of collective um, democracy, which, yeah. which I think is really nice. And the tie-in with the Rothko would be his attention to detail with all of his um, hand-printed work, which... Um, yeah, I, well, the colours he uses as well. He, mm. I know he goes a lot of, you know, tries to make a lot of them look like Soviet propaganda, mm. but I do like that sort of off-white, beigey tone that he uses. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And that aesthetic, um, what I love is when he's actually, when you look at his originals as opposed to his prints, they're, because he's printing over the top of whitewashed newspaper and a whole bunch of found objects, that yeah. there gives you a whole bunch of kind of texture, which is which which is actually quite beautiful, inside that space. Um, so that's four artists, um, living and dead. Um, obviously, Gary, you'd be in there because no, you know. I, 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 I... Gate crash anyway, so yeah, exactly. I'll be I'll be the sixth. <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, j- 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 you can be the George Martin of the um, of the Beatles. Um, the other p- person who I'd love to include would be Gavin Turk. Um, I I really love his his work and his kind of way of of showing identity. Um, and I, I love the work which he did around um, the biscuits, the coffee stains and the Coke cans to be able to, uh, what he was doing was looking at ways which he's able to sign and be able to be, uh, be a, 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 like signature, a, uh, the, the meaning of the artist through the artist's like signature. Yeah. So yeah. that may not fit in with the rest of the show, but I've basically picked out my favourite um, kind of artist there. Well, it's, it's his way of thinking. Whenever I get a sort of a little bit lost and need a bit of inspiration, mm. Gavin Turk is one of my half a dozen go-tos. Did you see his, the, the show he put on, or well, sorry, which like Hearst put on inside his gallery, um, I'm going to say two years ago or so? The what, Gavin the Turk Damien show? Hearst... At Damien Hurst Gallery. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Newport Street. They had a... Um, yeah. th- 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 he put on a um, Gavin Turk show there about two, three years ago. And it was that, about two years ago. And that, that was the moment where I was like, oh, I get it now. This, yeah. this is amazing. I, th- that kind of attention to detail and the... Yeah, it, that, 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 that blew me away and I spent like hours in there. I, th- I think I went back about three or four times just to make sure I saw everything and it, it truly kind of sunk in. It's the romanticism behind his plaque that just got me from the moment I saw it. When he put the plaque mm-hmm. in his studio at the, R- was it the RCA? And just to say that this is where I worked. Mm-hmm. That's it. And they, they disqualified him. But you see, but, but that that comes down to a question of context, doesn't it? Of course, yeah. of course. I I remember um, a very long time ago. So I so I was looking at going into um, a music course instead of an art course, um, and that there was this wonderful story, which I think is more urban myth than actual uh, story. But they're still good fables, yeah. eh? 
But th- th- there's this th- th- there's a story of a of a woman who applied for the conservatory by taking her like clarinet, opening up the piano, um, and then holding down the sustain pedals and just blasting a note into it <laughs> so that there was kind of these ripples of uh, noise yeah. and um it was th- th- and b- b- basically there was a whole kind of story which went along with it but i love the idea of something being so shocking so anti-art yeah that it becomes art again yeah and yeah. Uh, and that that, that 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 was one of those those kind of predefining stories in my mind which made me think oh I can do these things. I don't have yeah. to follow the rules. Yeah. But I do think it's important that you know the rules so you can break the rules. Yeah, well, I, I always like the idea that you can always push the boundaries of the rules, but it, you have to be precise when you want to break them. You yes. know, you can't just do it haphazard. Mm-hmm. You have to break them for a reason. Like even in society, people don't mind someone breaking the rules mm-hmm. as long as it's for a good reason, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that comes down to the work is that you've got to know the context. You've got to know where those Definitely. rules have come from. You've got to know, you've got to know the history so that you you've can got to understand forward. what you're breaking. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, th- and I think that's uh, that that is incredibly important is to be able to, for you to be able to move forward, you've got to know what has come before. Yeah, um, and to, to be able to know what what you can shift and what you can move and what you should be moving, so that you can create something new. Um, because I mean, once again, going back to that um, like postmodernist idea is that there is no new idea. What you're doing is you are bringing together your different inf- in, um, influences to be able to progress it that next step. Yeah. I mean, when we've spoke before, did I tell you about the motorbikers turning up to a show that I put no, on? No, no, but do t- 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 tell me. On my first exhibition, on the, on the night of the opening, um, because it was about perception and giving people a second chance and mm. not taking things at face value, you know, it, it was my first show that I put on. There was a lot of well-known artists there. There was mm. you know, people there from magazines and papers and, you know, that sort of thing. And... I'd, I've got a friend who I've known for, I've probably known him 35 years. He's now the, the head of this bikers club. They're just a group of like, like-minded people, love motorbikes, but they dress exactly the same as the Hells Angels. Mm. Levers, denims. Nice. You know, all, all of stereotypical biker, you know. Yeah. So on the night of the show, it was from 6.30 till 9 o'clock. I told them at 7.30... I wanted them to turn up, and this is what happened. Mm. We was in a long, narrow gallery. Mm. At 7.30, you just heard roar of these <laughs> four or five, I think it was, motorbikes. Yeah. Not little motorbikes, big fuck-off motorbikes. Yep. The gallery had a window at the side and a window at the end, and just by and it, it turned out to be just by chance mm. that's where they parked their bikes <laughs> because that was the only place they could park near yeah. the and again, just by chance, bearing in mind they was 30 feet away from each other, the, mm. the two little groups, Yeah, it went silent at once. They all cut their engines off at once, <laughs> within a second or yeah, so yeah, of yeah, each yeah, other, yeah. you know. And you saw people just looking at each other, looking out the windows, mm-hmm. as if to go, what the fuck oh. is that? Like, this isn't the norm. Then the door opened, mm. and my mate Mac walked in. 
Mm. Helmet off, helmet under his arm, leather waistcoat, mm. you know, like a lumberjack shirt underneath and then yep. leather trousers and whatnot. And I said to him and all his guys, and it turned out to be two sons, a son's mate and, you know, one of his mates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I don't want anyone to come in to try and look tough. I don't want anyone smiling. Mm. I said, I want it to be as if you're just going in to pay for your petrol. Yeah. But I wanted the viewer in the gallery to think, shit, bikers, mm. trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so as soon as these, he's gone silent, these bikers have walked in. Max got his helmet under his arm. The next one, I can't remember how it went, but one had his helmet on, mm. the other had it off, but had one of those things up, you know, the little yeah, yeah. cloth thing with a yeah. skull's face on it, mm. and whatever, whatever. As they've walked down this narrow gallery, and the perfectly as well, someone dropped a glass, or they nudged mm. the glass and it fell on the floor, so there was that little smash of breaking glass, and in the middle of the gallery was a post, mm. and it had um, a um, baseball bat on it that I'd wrapped in cling film. And at the very end was a neon which had sex and drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> and it was called Rock and Roll Biker. All the work had been damaged. And I hadn't damaged the neon. And I was saying, oh, it's, it's like a living thing. I felt wrong breaking it or damaging it. And they've walked through and Mac has grabbed hold of the baseball bat, ripped it off of this post. So you've heard the cling film ripping like paper, you know. Bearing in mind this post was in the centre. Yeah. The four guys that were with him turned round to either side of this post and just stood there with their mm. hands across them like a doorman would stand. And then Mac was just pacing left and right with this baseball bat. Mm. And he just went... And this the baseball bat was called Joan of Arc. Mm. The neon was called Rock and Roll Biker. Yeah. So he just looked, again, with no aggression, he went, Joan of Arc, meet Rock and Roll Biker. And then he's just gone smash and hit this neon sign, <laughs> which fucking exploded. Yeah. And because the glass is so fine, mm-hmm. it, it sounded like rain, you know, yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. hitting the floor. And there was gasps, you know, it, mm. was, it was fucking brilliant. And the guys were only stood there to protect the crowd uh, from glass. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. they didn't realise that at the time. And from when he hit it, I told him to then throw the bat onto mm. the floor. Like, they walked out and then everyone started clapping, right? <laughs> so I wanted people to get the wrong idea, to be scared mm. and to find, to realise that it was all for the wrong reasons. You see, what I love is that you're playing with people's preconceptions and, uh, and you're using very strong signifiers to be able to twist and move that around. So yeah. I'm curious, as uh, given that you were talking about your many layers, have you ever, have you ever considered using those signifiers to be able to shift perception of who you are. What, in my life or in my artwork? Uh, both, really. I, I think that kind of shifting of perception, because your artwork is so incredibly tied to you, and you're talking about how you feel kind of small inside a gallery, and you feel like the, the odd one out. Have you considered being able to change people's perceptions to be able to show who you are by, by, by changing the way you dress or to, to, to change that kind of first impression uh, which people have of you? No. Deep down, I don't think I want that perception to change because mm. I don't think that people should go, oh, that guy in the, in the loud suit who, who looks like an artist should mm. be the artist. I've spent all of my life trying not to be seen, yeah. you know, yeah. trying to be in the shadows. Yeah. And I like the idea of them not meeting me and going, 
oh, fucking hell, I wish I would have met him. And I know mm. it's wrong and it's detrimental to me, my work, my practice. Yeah. I like mm. the idea that someone misses it and says, yeah. I wish I would have been a part of that. Mm. So it's like making up a sort of myth, possibly. I don't yeah. know. It is interesting because you are such a great storyteller. You are such a great um, personality that I, I find it interesting that you are hiding that away because in, in the idea we were talking about before is the collector buying into you as the artist. That storytelling, that, 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 that personality, that kind of space, isn't that much different to, to your friend Dougie, except he's doing it through clothes. You're doing, you, you, you have that same, kind of same personality. So I would love to see you at a gallery opening and to see if that storytelling, that's, um, that, if, if that storytelling, if that personality w brings people in to be able to talk to you. When I was part of the art car boot fair a couple of years ago, what I found was, and I've, I've been questioning this as well, I wasn't going there as Gary Mansfield, the artist. It's as if there was a slight character there. I mean, I turned mm. up in an orange boiler suit with, with Mizog art yeah. emblazoned on the front here. I could do it if I was being a different Gary Mansfield, mm. a different character. And I yeah. was being quite extrovert. Mm. That isn't the normal Gary Mansfield. No. I mean, a lot of artists know me like that, one-to-one. -one, mm. But you wouldn't know me the, like yeah, that in a group. group. Yeah. And I mean, to, to, to that, I mean, that almost feels like a caricature of you. Definitely. Uh, and that was like in my, in my old days. I mean, I, I've never had really that much confidence as a person, you know, but to become a different character, I'm all right with. And I would like to explore that, mm. the different characters in a person. Which, which is really interesting because when I, I mean, uh, when I first started out my commercial career, so working in um, like design, um, I was too um, too affected by feedback. Um, I, I mean, I do remember uh, the first piece of feedback which I got was, uh, "Your work is intellectually clever, but not for us." And I was like, "Great, I don't know what to do with that." So what I did is I created a personality. I created a much more outgoing personality who was able to take that criticism, take that kind of feedback um, and take that um, crit of my work to be able to survive inside the commercial world. And I think there's definitely a bit of that inside the art version of me because the, by the very act of creating something, putting something into the world, you are inviting criticism. And you're inviting people to say, yeah, I don't like it. I mean, yeah. I've, I had this uh, interesting conversation with a, um, with a chap on my Instagram who was basically saying, oh, for, I don't see art, I only see design. To which I thought, that's an interesting idea because yeah. Yeah. what's the difference between art and design? Uh, between the, the space, but uh, I mean, let's face it, both are trying to sell something to you. Yeah, possibly. It's it's a it's a question between the who pays for it, but uh, and you say yeah. that, that that. But if you look at all of the great masters, they were still painting somebody else's stuff. They were still uh, they yeah. were yeah. They, they were painting the the vision of their of, of their painter. So for me, I thought this was a this was a really kind of interesting thing, and I, and I was up for a discussion about that, but to be able to work out. What is the line of, of of what we're trying to do here? 
the, f- f- rather disappointingly, he was unable to actually c- carry on the conversation and to be able to engage with that level. But if I didn't have that um, outward uh, personality um, to, who was able to take that kind of criticism, I probably would have taken that on board, kind of shrunken away, as opposed to saying, oh, that's interesting. Um, and for, for me, like I said, that personality was able to do that rather than just shrinking away in the corner and saying, oh, sorry. I don't think I would have gotten to where I am as an artist if I didn't have that other personality, yeah. to, which is confident enough and not apologetic and curious, I suppose, because I think that is also the, the role of an artist, is to be able to be curious about the world and their connection with that world. That, that's me, makes me a better artist, I think, so yeah. that I'm, I'm able to uh, understand the way my work is being viewed and the understanding of that. Um, so, I th- like I said, I think that's a real confidence which has come to me through being able to be open to that level of, um, of, of like, um, criticism. When I was saying about this other person, like the, I was saying mm. at the Art Car Boot Fair, me in Orange, he's got a name, he's got a backstory, and I know all this because he is the younger me. The yeah. point when I was in prison mm. to the point I become an artist, which is when I was in prison, and I yeah. can put it back to a specific day, mm. is when I said, no more am I that person, I'm this mm. new person. That's why I, re- I don't know if you've ever heard me say it, but I refer to myself sometimes, jokingly, mm. as a born-again artist. <laughs> because there was this day when I just went, right, I've seen, I've seen the light. That's how I can slip back into being that more brash. The confidence of youth. Uh, very possibly, yeah. And, and the stupidity as well, you know? Yeah, yeah they go hand in hand. Um, yeah, that was me then. That isn't, I am a completely different person now, but he's still within me. I say mm. Roy Maynard's inside me, locked yep. away, but Gary Mansfield's still got the key. But you see, what that does is you, I mean, that's such a wonderful tool. So that when you are, I mean, you, You've been able to use Roy for good instead of evil. Exactly. That's what I like. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, for me, that's a perfect example of using your different personalities at the right time. To be able to pull out those different sides of you, to be able to focus focus yourself and to be able to do the right thing or do what you want. And I think as an artist... You need to be able to do that as well with your work. You need to pull out the different sides of you to be able to and to be able to focus that, because I think if if I let out all of my different personalities over over the canvas or over the painting, it will be very confused. So for each of the series, I need to be able to focus in on the what am I trying to say? What voice am I going to have? And what which one of my personalities am I going to let out? Because for me, when I'm in the studio, it's a very different voice to when I'm in a gallery or when I'm at an art fair or, 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 or something like that. Because I need quiet to be able to work. And I need to be in that meditative kind of... Keep myself to myself, this kind of quiet little space where I'm playing the thoughts in my head and I'm in my own world. Whereas in order to go out the and to be able to talk to people about my work, I... I have to dress up. I've got to put on the, the I've got to put on the suit jacket, put on the shiny shoes, and bring out the show. 
And I, there is definitely a certain amount of performance which I put on, and I become much more of that kind of cheeky, chappy um, sort of relationship when I'm talking to these collectors. Because if I was just sat in the corner being my studio self, um, I feel as if I wouldn't be able to tell my story. So hence why I need this, uh, this, this kind of bigger personality to be able to engage with people and to pull out that quiet curiosity I have in the studio out of the people and to be able to get them talking so that I'm able to, once again, link that back th through the work and link back the connection um, yeah, definitely. Uh, to be able to do that. And what I have found at these scenarios is when there is somebody there, they want to engage with you. They want to have those conversations. So yeah. it's quite easy for me to shift. It's, it's not something which I have to kind of force myself onto. But the kind of introverted me in the studio, which doesn't like making phone calls because, you know, someone might answer the phone, um, becomes this extroverted character uh, yeah. when I am talking to people about the work to be able to bring everybody along into the story and bring everybody together to be able to um, connect. Are you familiar with, with the work of Stanley Donwood? No. You, you will know his work because he, he did all of the Radiohead albums. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. And I stumbled across an interview he did inside the studio for a book he was creating, which was each page was carved out of lino and he was doing like lino prints. Oh, and it, what I thought was really interesting is one of his ideas was about embracing the imperfections and um, the thoughts and the process of that. Uh, for the um, series of work he did around, the, uh, around Radiohead's OK Computer album was the idea of not being able to undo everything. So on a computer, you can hit hit control Z and it, it kind of takes you yeah, back and undo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas what he was doing was building up layers of these. Uh, so whenever there was an imperfection, he'd put something over the top and then something else over the top and something else over the top and something else over the top. And that was kind of the first time which I, I thought, uh, which I love this idea of being able to take that undo culture which we have and this idea of being able to find perfection because if it's not quite right, you can just undo it. Um, to be able to shift it into the take the take the mistake, embrace the mistake, turn it into something else, yeah. um, and I I think that, that that kind of comes through a lot of my work because you get the beauty in the imperfection. You get the beauty when it's not perfectly um, when it's not perfectly perfect. It becomes yeah. perfect. Well, I made it. I, th I think I may have told you about this. Did I tell you about my shirt that I made? Uh, I've seen your shirt, but I, do, but I don't know the story behind it. So I've, I've left all the creases there and there's a broken button and they're all genuine as well. Mm. I haven't placed the creases there. I, I made that as a self-portrait or a conceptual mm. self-portrait insofar as all of the imperfections are on the surface mm. of this folded up shirt. And when you see a folded up shirt in the shop, it's all pristine on the outside. And then when you take the pins out and take it off of its bit of cardboard and open mm. it up, Everything else is creased and folded, and yeah, yeah. you know. So I'm trying to say that I put all my imperfections out here. Well, if you write down imperfect and then put a gap between the M and the P, mm. it yeah. says either I... I'm perfect or imperfect, and that's what I've called mm. it. So, it, so mm. you can 
read it how you like. I'm saying that these imperfections make me mm. unique. Other yeah. people say that they're not wanted. So it's, it's your perception. Yeah. Yeah, but what I like about that is that it kind of changes the perception from, if you're able to change the perception of the viewer to be able to see your imperfections as your as what makes you perfect and what yeah. makes you you and that's and it, it does come with a poem you know i was at a, in a dark place at this point it was a time when i was going through that change trying yep. to sort of look at myself seeing what i didn't like what i did but i didn't find much mm. that i did like yeah and I'm, i i wrote this little poem and it was called mm. i'm perfect or imperfect and i read it and it it was an honest evaluation of me and it mm. really fucking upset me, Matt, because I realised mm. that I wasn't a fucking nice person, you know, yeah. from my eyes. Mm. I mean, I, I had the idea of making a shirt, mm. you know, with, with all these creases and folds and I'd done it when I was at university, mm. but I never told anyone about this poem. Then I started making um, resin duplicates of this bronze, mm. um, which is the, the, the black shirt in question. Yeah. And when I sold one, I would give the poem to them. Everyone that got one contacted me and gone, my God, that's heart-wrenching. And I realised that I should have possibly made that a part of the artwork. You know, I called yeah. the title of that shirt is called I'm Perfect, as is mm. the poem. But I think I should have possibly made it more public. There's no reason why you can't do that in the future. Why you can't uh, create a piece of performance where you invite um, like a couple of people into a space to for you to be able to tell that story in in like some way? Because I find what I love about that is it's a group think moment where everybody in that group is feeling the exact same emotion, and you can feel you can feel all all of the, the waves of emotion kind of. Um, connecting everybody inside that room mm. it is the connection back to you as the yeah. artist which gives it the strength and the power and the the, the telling of, of that so i i mean i love the idea of it being a something which is just between you and your audience um i saw a band play once and this was like f 15 years ago um it, it was the drummer from the melvins and he put on a silent show. So basically everybody turned up with their headphones and you could only hear the show through the headphones in the room at that time. Nice. And it was, it was such a wonderful ex experience which divided the audience because everybody had their headphones on, but it was a, uh, a way of bringing everybody together. As in the moment. The lights, yeah, in the moment. The lights were down, the... The, the, the shape and the play and the interactions were still there. Uh, but it was very much a kind of a, a, like a lovely second, uh, which was all about him performing this one album. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, th I think you could definitely do that in a way. And, I mean, I'd love to be able to see that. So he, he, here's a question for you. Would you do a Zoom, um, a, a Zoom reading of that poem? So it becomes uh, you and eight other people. Um, and, and again, but it would have to be a performance within context. It would have to have the shirt 
explanation yeah. of the shirt. But I, yeah, like I said, for you to be able to put on that performance, build that that time, I think that feels. Um, of, I mean, I would love to see that, um, and it feels almost like a counterpoint to the bikers coming into coming into uh, like the gallery mm. because it's such a personal, such a quiet moment of reflection about uh, about where you were at the time. It feels deeply, deeply personal and intimate. It, it was the realisation of your life yeah. and the all, all the weight which goes along that of the you've only got one life, this is... I mean, what the fuck are you going to do with your life? All those yeah. kind of questions which you which which you have to face as you kind of grow up, yeah. were all distilled down into into um into a uh, like set of words. T- to me, it sounds as if it was almost a like primal scream at yourself Definitely. to like yeah. wake the fuck up and do this. But like I say, it's th- th- that's what I find interesting about other people being able to read your work and be able to create things out of that and to kind of build up a bigger story. Um, and the, the idea of being able to distill the story and to be able to, to distill it into something else takes you back to that time and builds on even further. Um, no, I, I think that's really interesting and, and, and actually quite cool. Yeah. What, what do you think, uh, my last question out of the mm-hmm. seven, just trying to bring it back into to where we were, if you wasn't an artist, what would you like to be? Ah, oh, that's an interesting thought because I think I'm, it's in my DNA that I'm always going to make things. Yeah. Um, so is it art or is it science? Is it something? I need to make things to help me understand it. I mean, I was one of those kids who would take things apart um, nice. so I could understand how it worked. Um, what would I be? What would my profession be? I don't know. This is something I've definitely been pondering over the, over my hiking through through all the mountains of Scotland, and I think what I would want to be able to do is make more time. That's that's my kind of biggest learnings is to be able to make more time to be able to live within the moment. So I think that I'd like to kind of transgress the idea of career and all of those those sorts of thoughts to move away from the I've got to sell this so I can get the money to to be able to to buy food to be able to live so I can make things sounds very again. nostalgic I think it is nostalgic there's, there's definitely a certain nostalgia I, I I had to do you remember when you were a kid and you'd spend hours waiting for the bus and and I would actively catch the next bus so that I could hang out with my mates <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. on the bus stop because, you know, the bus stop is the place to be. But the, 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 for me, I think that idea of being able to find more time to be able to have those meaningful conversations, to be able to make those moments count um, rather than the bigger world and the bigger space of, oh, I've got to create a commodity to be able to live. I like the idea of making time to do nothing. I, I, I think that's the biggest thing which I have worked out that what I want to be when I grow up is somebody who makes time to do nothing. And but yeah. a lot of time, if you've got that, you can do it. But other than that, Ooh. if you're chasing, if you're chasing a wage, 
Well, do do you need to? Ch- I mean, these are all the thoughts I, I I've been having for myself. Is why why have I been chasing that? Why have I been kind of chasing that kind of circular idea? And is this just the societal uh, norms which have been pushed upon me? Is is there a, is there another way which I could do this? Is there a way which I can be more daring and to be able to say actually, I I'm, I'm only going to produce one body of work a year. It's going to be brilliant in every possible aspect. Um, and I shall emerge from my cocoon to be able to share it with the world. Yeah. Um, well, I decided a long time ago that I was no longer going to chase a pound note because that's how I got into prison. And when I had the new me and I was released from prison, and mm. even after I went to university, I did think definitely letting money govern me was a bad thing. And mm. I don't let it do it to me to an extent. And mm. as much as I've had a lot more of a freer state of mind in my life, mm. on the flip side to that, we haven't had great holidays. I haven't got a, a nice car. Yeah. So it's six and one half dozen of the other. Well, yeah, I suppose. But I th- I'm I, happy. I, that's the much, that, that, that was what I was about to say is, that happiness and joy and that space which that has been able to afford you has made you happy and more fulfilled as an artist. I don't worry about stuff, Matt. That's what I've decided not to do. Well, that's all my question to ask, Matt. Mm. What have you got coming up? What have I got coming up? I've got so many things coming up. So, Excellent. That's nice <clears> to hear. I mean, as like lockdown is kind of freeing up, there are so many things um, which, are, which are coming up, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, I am doing my first solo show of the year with Chopper Chunky. Um, so I'm um, very excited about putting that together. Uh, putting together the show to be able to share with everybody. Um, follow my Instagram to be able to find those things. Uh, I have the other art fair uh, in in October, uh, so I'll be showing uh, some new work there and uh, heading to New York and LA in November. Fingers crossed, coronavirus and all those sorts of things. Um, and then I, the, the kind of really kind of interesting ones are these more interactive pieces which, which I'm doing. So um, I've been talking to um, um, to a fashion designer to be able to create some more uh, to, to create some interactive work because nice. I've always thought of my music uh, thought of my work as having movement in it. So I love the idea of working with a fashion designer to be able to to create this sort of thing. And then the last thing which I'm doing is I've started a collective um, to be able to create uh, create change for good. Um, it's called um, Never Label, uh, and it's a collective of creative people who are coming together to be able to create things. So our first piece off the pack is a carbon negative print. As you may or may not know, every ink you buy or everything black you see is made from carbon. And that carbon is basically made by a factory in China burning, burning on like fossil fuels and then scraping the carbon off uh, to be able to build up there. I mean, that mortified me that basically everything black you see is a waste of, um, a, a waste of fossil fuels. So I found an ink which is made by basically growing, growing an algae. Uh, which is a lovely deep black, and I've also found a ink which is um, which is made from captured carbon. 
So for both sides of the scale of the um, being able to capture the carbon, pull it out of the soil, as well as being able to capture the carbon and pull it out of the air, uh, we've created a, a print to be able to talk about this great pause which we're going on. Because this coronavirus at the moment has kind of stopped our stopped the rapid rise of carbon, um, as we come out of this, I want us all to pause for a second and to kind of think about um, what we are doing um, and m moving forward. So the, the, I, with this piece of here, I, I am very much working towards being able to um, use it as a way to, to start a conversation about how we need to go from the idea of of uh, the idea of Mother Earth to switch that into us needing to mother comma, the earth. Nice. So by putting that pause in there, um, I, I want people to think about our use of carbon. So that's... Excellent. It's beautiful. So that's a, that, that's a piece which is uh, going out in September. So um, uh, yeah, d definitely follow us at I'm Like Never Label uh, for all those listening on at home. I, because I've been enjoying our conversation so much, I've actually forgot that people are going to be listening to this. <laughs> That's the problem with these. Well, I think it comes down to the fact that we find uh, find each other interesting and we're both curious. Yeah, definitely. And, and that is what being an artist is about, is being curious. Yeah, most definitely. How can people see your work, be it online or social media? Okay, you can follow me on Instagram, which is at Matt Jukes, M-A-T-T-J-U-K-S, or you can see my work online at mattjukes.inc, that's I-N-K. Brilliant. Well, Matt, that's all my questions asked. Thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed every second of it. Brilliant. Superb. Thank you, mate. There we go, Matt Jukes. Told you it was good, didn't I? I absolutely loved that conversation with Matt Jukes. It was originally over two and a half hours long, I'll have you know. But luckily for you, I've done my little bit of editing magic. In this episode, Matt and I spoke for some time about art fairs. And both the other art fair and Roy's art fair are both at the Truman Brewery, which is just off Brick Lane, from the 8th till the 11th of October. And I know that both art fairs are taking very stringent safety precautions. So come down, support the artists and support the art fairs. Speaking of art fairs, next week's artist, Natasha Dove, only started to make her artwork public during lockdown. And she's already contemplating taking the leap and applying to Roy's art fair. Her work's amazing. Go and have a look for yourself over on Instagram. She's at Dovesy Artography. And Dovesy is spelt D-V-S-Y. But anyway, like I say every week, on whichever platform you listen to this podcast, you should be able to leave a comment. If you could do that, that would really help us get noticed and anybody else looking for an art podcast. So, thanks for listening, and until next week, ta
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.